Welcome to episode 240 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lucy, Susan, Marilyn, and Akila. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lucy, Susan, Marilyn, and Akila, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like, and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I'm actually traveling. I'm recording this in my hotel room in Southern California, about to head out for lunch and maybe a little bit of time on the beach, and then I'll go see my brother, which is the reason for traveling here. I'm, I'm visiting him before he moves back east, my last chance to get to Southern California for that excuse anyway. And I'd like to share with you the talk given by Linda L., the al speaker at the March Roundup that I went to a couple of weeks ago. I hope you enjoy it as much as we in the audience did. Hello, my name's Linda, and I have been a member of Al-Anon since February of 1987. I know, when you love the drunks, you got to stick around. Someone asked Lois, uh, Lois Wilson was married to Bill, and she's the co-founder of Al-Anon. Um, I'm having a little trouble with the microphone. Is it okay with everybody here? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll just sound like I'm in a barrel to me then. Uh, but somebody asked Lois what she did in the moment of silence, like we just had today before the serenity prayer, and she said... I invite God to the meeting. So if you'd be willing to indulge me in another moment of silence and be willing to invite the God of your understanding to come and sit with us and, um, and let those words from my high power be what you're going to hear today and not my words. So a moment of silence, please. Thank you. And I want to mind my manners. I want to thank Bob for uh, getting me into all of this. Um, It seemed like a good idea sitting on my couch when I said yes about a year ago. Uh, (laughs) Flying on that airplane to uh, Baltimore in that Northeaster didn't sound so great. And um, But I'm telling you, I had a rough plane ride, but my heart goes out to the other people that were on the ground and having to um, deal with those high winds. Ours was like a ride you would get at Disneyland, so in comparison to what they were going through. I want to thank Deb for picking us up at the airport, and she said uh, she we didn't have a lot of contact. What we discovered yesterday, I was texting her all this time, like, I can't wait to see you, looking forward to the weekend, and I'd get this text back. Well, I had Bob's text so <laughs> all the time I'm thinking I have in contact with Deb, I was contacting him. So, you know, 
So things don't, don't always, but they, they work out at the end of it. Um, so, so how do I get here to tell my story? And, and that's what's, what you're going to hear is the story that in a short version, the, you know, the cliff notes is I love alcoholics. I, I love them. I, I call them dad. I call them uncle. I call them neighbor. I give birth to them, you know. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just love these alcoholics um, in the rooms and the ones outside the rooms. Um, and, and thanks to Al-Anon, I don't have to apologize for that. In fact, I'm kind of like a, um, an alcoholic finder magnet, you know? I mean, I, I can pick you out in a crowd, and I'm going to rush right to you. It's just the way I do it. And I'm so good at it that Scott, several years ago, gave me this little business cards because he says, I think your talent can be very helpful in our community. And he said, you know, you can use these cards like if I'm standing in line to pick up the dry cleaning and I look over there and he's standing there and I can go, hmm, wow, he's, he's done, okay. He says, all I have to do is hand this stranger this business card. It's got my name and phone number on one side. On the back side it says, hi, my name is Linda. I am a member of Al-Anon. I find you attractive. So I suggest you go to the nearest treatment center and have an assessment done. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just helps a lot. And, and I have to tell you, since we got here last night, my heart has just been pounding. I mean, you just, you know, um, Detroit has made me feel most welcome and, uh, and I think they're doing a great job of rounding y'all up and putting you in this, this weekend. And my heart's been going pitter-patter. Thank you for doing this. So I want to tell you my story. And like a lot of us, the story actually starts happening, the journey to alcoholism starts happening before I was born. And uh, I um, want to tell you about my mom and my dad a little bit. Uh, my dad, they were both um, from Oklahoma, and during their lifetime growing up, they had lived without plumbing and without electricity. So this is not a, um, a, a story that starts out with, with a lot of things given to you that you thought you were entitled to. Th- these were two young people that struggled a lot in their lifetime. Uh, my dad was an amputee. He only had one arm. When he was born, the, there was a blood clot moving up his arm, and the little country doctor didn't know anything to do but to saw it off. And that's what his arm looked like all of his life. And um, my dad's dad was the meanest by reputation that I, I never met the man, but he absolutely by reputation was one of the meanest town drunks you were ever gonna, gonna come to know. And this is a story that I didn't tell until after my dad passed away. But my dad uh, was the oldest of five children, and his mom um, had these five children, and she had to feed them, and so he would go out and he would hunt for squirrels and rabbits to help put food on the table because his dad evidently was out there raging and being the town drunk and a very violent man, evidently. But I know that my dad's sister 
that my grandmother named um, one of her daughters Joy. And so that told me a lot. Here's this man that was was so mean to her and her children, and yet she named one of her daughters Joy. So isn't this what we do? We can have the drama. We can have the severe happenings in our life. But yet we just love, love these alcoholics. So my dad was out hunting one day when he was about 14, and he came in, and he walked into the room, and his dad had the iron poker from the fireplace, and he was beating his mom, who was pregnant with her last child. And uh, probably just instinct, my dad took that gun, and he shot and killed his own father. And uh, that's a tragic alcoholic story. And the law came, as the law would. But the law came, and they took my dad away, and they took him out of the county, and they took him to another state and kept him safe because they knew that his uncles would come and kill him. This is a story that you might hear on, uh, on a soap drama, but it is what happens to the lives of alcoholics. So after my mom had, was very young, still in high school, when my mom and dad met, and they fell in love and are about to start their journey to live happily ever after. And um, they got married, and about a year later, I was born. And um, I'm an only child. I don't think they planned it that way. I think at the time, you don't know you're going to only have one child. But I was an only child, and I know they were excited to have a baby coming. I think they were excited to have a boy because they didn't even pick out a girl's name. So I've always thought that I was a disappointment to my parents, you know, on the day I was born. Um, She ended up naming me after the doctor that delivered me. And um, so now this story is um, I'm an only child with this this couple that struggled. Um, I was born in 1945. Don't get out your calculators. I'm I'm 72 years old. Okay, <laughs> and uh, and being an only child, and and my parents became very successful. My dad was so driven. Um, he in one generation he turned he turned his life around, and he provided for my mom and for me. We had cars, we had houses, we had clothes, we traveled. Um, in in growing up, he became a very wealthy man, and that's pretty incredible with his history and his background. He was uh, just a high school graduate. And, you know, I saw alcohol or I saw drinking every day of my life. I, I, I don't remember a day of my dad not drinking. And, you know, after this story that I just told you about his dad, wouldn't you think he would have stayed away from alcohol if he could have? And um, my dad had a business that required him to entertain people and to take them out to dinner and to, and to have them buy drinks. And, and so it, and we'd travel all over with my dad. He was a salesman. And every, t- every summer, I'd just climb in the car. My mother and I'd climb in the car, and we'd go with him, and we'd go out west. I grew up in Odessa, Texas. I graduated from high school in 1964. If you want to know what my life was like, um, you, all you have to do is watch the show Under the Friday Night Lights. That's actually about my hometown, Odessa. And funny thing about that, I can, as I think back, when I would go to, to school, 
And I would look, all the guys I dated were the ones that were, you had to smoke around by the dumpster. And, you know, and all the guys I dated were, oh, they were back there, you know. (laughs) But anyway, the heart loves what the heart loves. And uh, (laughs) so as a young child, I'm traveling with my parents, and we would, uh, he'd take a very important businessman, our a client out to dinner, and I, they would go to the bar, and they would have the drink, and they would go to dinner, and they'd have the drinks, and then we'd go have the drinks after dinner. And I can remember as a child sitting in a bar, uh, one of those uh, captain's chairs, and my feet would, you know, be straight out, and the bartender would take uh, mercy on me and bring me a whole glass full of those little cherries with those little swords, you know. And uh, I don't like those cherries to this day because I've (laughs) had my fill of those. But the reason I say this is because my dad was a very successful alcoholic. I mean, I I, I saw him drink every day of, of my life with him, and I saw him drunk a lot of those days. I would come home from high school, and sometimes his clothes would be on the front porch, and I'd step over them. And then later they'd get moved back in, and a couple of months later they'd be back on the front porch where she would have asked him to leave, and then they would, you know, work it out and back in. So I was always the kind of net between my mom and my dad. Now, my mother was one of those, uh, um, she never sought any counseling, any help. Um, But she was, you know, I don't know if y'all know what Venetian blinds are. They're the metal ones. You know, they're not designer blinds. They're the metal ones that were on the windows in West Texas. And she had these Venetian blind marks on her forehead because she would stand at the window and wait for him to come home. And this is what she taught me. You wait, you know, and and you plot and you wait. So uh, this was my life. Um... I graduated from high school. They had dreams that I'd go off to college. I started at the junior college there in Odessa because I was still going to live at home for whatever reason. Now, I had a girlfriend in high school. This is Odessa, which is an oil field country. And I'd go pick this girlfriend up for us to go to school, and her dad worked the graveyard shift on the rigs. So I'd come in about 7 o'clock in the morning, and he would be in the living room in his T-shirt, and he'd be picking up a bottle and drinking it out of the bottle. And I'd think, hey, there must be something wrong here. And I would make a judgment. And then I'd go with my dad to the country club, and I'd see him get drunk, and I thought the setting was so perfect that it must be okay. Alcoholism knows no boundaries. It it wants the good life. It wants the bad life. It wants it all. It wants the dreams. It it wants everything. Um, I think I call it the disease, and I say dis-ease, because that's what it brings into our lives, dis-ease. So I'm going to junior college, still living at home, and one day this man comes across the campus. I could have handed him one of these little cards if I'd had it because uh, my heart went thumpity-thump, and um, evidently something went thumpity-thump in him, and we'd known each other for two weeks when he asked me to marry him. And um, that seemed like a good idea, you know? (laughs) 
Um, so there's a lot going on back in my, my high school days. Um, I, you'll understand this, I think. I'd been a good girl for about as long as I could be, so I thought I'd better just go ahead and get married. And so I... I <laughs> We went into my parents, and I, I said, We're, we want to get married. We're going to get married. And my mother said, well, don't you think he needs a job first? And we go, that's just details. We'll work it out, you know? So um, in six months, uh, planning a wedding, I wore the white dress. I deserved to wear the white dress. I go down the aisle. I marry this young man, and we're college students, and we're going to live happily ever after. And... Uh, And we did for about the first week or so. (laughs) And then he would get, uh, he had the forgets. He'd forget to come home, you know. (laughs) He'd forget to uh, pay the electric bill. And so we lived lived with the forgets, and he forget to get a job. And so we would live with those forgets for quite a while. And uh, and I said, we were married, I, I, I just turned 20. And um, and then three, we'd been married about three years when our first daughter was born. And in all of this time, we are still college students. And we have moved around trying to get the degree from the very best place, whatever, 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 and still not having a job. Well, one day, he came charging into, we were um, still college students working, but... Um, kind of working, I guess, at a, but he said he didn't really have a job, but he came in and he says, I'm going to get this job, and he took his guitar, and he went down to the local bar, and he auditioned, and it was a Holiday Inn bar, because that's where, uh, you know, um, that's where the private clubs were back in, in Texas, in the, in the hotels, and he came home, he got this job, and all of a sudden, he went from not bringing any money home to making more money than we'd see in one week than we'd see in, in months. And so now he had a job. And he became very successful being the entertainer in these local bars. And then he came to me one day, and he said, uh, they want me to go to Dallas and work some of those clubs up there. Well, I said, okay, that sounds good. And... Um, and I didn't even think about it. I said, well, we'll come too. I mean, I am close to graduating with honors in college. I have a, a two-year-old daughter, and I pack up everything, a, a hot plate, the kids' toys, because I didn't think he should go off without adult supervision. <laughs> and... Uh, we're going to... Um, we're, we're, I'm now... And we're, we're living in hotel rooms now. Not only had we moved to all of those different campuses, not only had we moved always to something else, because he'd stand in front of me and he said, I think it'll be better if we go to Houston. I think it'll be better if we go to Nashville. I think it'll be better. And, and I believed him because he believed it. And I think if you look at the history between Lois and Bill, I think they travel quite a bit too. And I think there were times that they lived without... Out, um, a mailing address. And what I know about this dis-ease, that you pack up the hot plate, you pack up the pots and pans, you pack up the books, you pack up the, your treasures, and you pack up the dis-ease, and it moves with you. And it's not like we were running away. We really, he believed it was going to be better, and I believed it was going to be better. So now my life is living in hotel rooms with this toddler, 
And he's going down to work every night and coming home from work every night. And he kind of looked like and smelled like and act like he'd been to a party. But since it was work, it didn't, it, it wasn't. This was serious. And I got kind of bored. And I went to him one Friday and I said, I am going to be the drummer in the band. He said, have you ever played drums before? And I said, no, that's just details. We'll work it out. (laughs) And I love the story last night. I went to a pawn shop. I bought a whole set of drums. They were covered in Nialgahyde. And um, that Monday night, I became the drummer in the band. I'm talking about the bass drum, two ride toms, a floor tom, a hi-hat, a crash cymbal, and a snare drum. And I just sat up there, and I smiled, and I wore hot pants, and I was the drummer in the band. (laughs) And we became really well-known in Texas, and we traveled all over. Um, We became so well-known that wherever we were, we were always known as the after-hours party. So if we were in Dallas or Houston or Fort Worth... Odessa, Midland, it didn't matter. Whoever was in concert in that town, they would find out where we were because they knew the party was going to continue after 1 o'clock, after the law said you could no longer party. And and so I have played drums with some of the people that you would recognize. Um, I became just part of the, the gang, the guys hanging out. Um, oh, but you remember I had this daughter. And we're living in hotel rooms. And she had to babysit her. And I would write it into our contract that the innkeeper would have to get a babysitter for us. And so somebody would be keeping her upstairs that I probably couldn't even told you her name. And it would, sometimes this would be on a Tuesday or a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. And we're going to make music all night long in the bar. And she would have to go home. The babysitter would have to go home. But I'm going to be a good mom. I'm going to take care of my child. I'm going to be a good wife and a good drummer. I'm going to hang out with the guys as they drink and party. And I would go upstairs, and I'd take the phone off the hook in her room. And this is a a youngster, a, a baby, practically. And I would go downstairs in the bar, and I'd take that phone off the hook. And every now and then, I'd go over and listen to see if she was awake. Now, I think in this day and age, family services would have a little problem leaving a baby in a hotel room by herself. But I was thought that I was doing what I was supposed to do. Um, there's eight years between my girls. After when, um, when I'd been pay- playing the drums for quite a while, I got pregnant with our second daughter. And um, a pregnant woman behind a drum set is not a really good picture. So I kind of retired from that, and we, this daughter turned a year old in Nashville. I really thought when we moved to Nashville was going to be the last of the moves, because when, you, when you're trying to be a wannabe, and you're a good singer, and you're a good songwriter, you, you're going to go where the action is. And so I really thought this was the answer to everything. This, 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 that was going to be where we were supposed to live, and we really were going to live happily ever after. The thing about the music industry in Nashville, it's a business. And sometimes the drink becomes more important than taking care of business. And this man that had a lot of chances to be successful 
um, wanted to enjoy the party more than taking care of business. And we'd been there about three years. When he up and announced, he said, get packed, we're leaving. He says, I'm, I'm not staying here in Nashville. It's, it's not for me. And I have to tell you, I looked at him, and I was absolutely so very old because I had packed the cardboard boxes so many times. I had run with the dreams so many times. I had put my daughter in so many schools so many times. I stood in front of him and said, I can't go. And he said, well, I guess we'll just get, get a divorce. Now, he had used that phrase on me before, and I, but he, and I, because I had asked for a divorce on several occasions when it was extremely bad, and he would tell me, we don't, we don't have enough money to get a divorce. Go figure. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> but I found an attorney that for 50 bucks, I got myself a divorce. <laughs> And this man packs up all of his music instruments, and, um, and he drives away from Nashville. And his rearview mirror had a one-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an ex-wife whose resume said drummer in the band. Now, the attorney that handled that divorce was my neighbor. He and his wife were really good friends. And he said, you're going to need... Um, a, a job. You're going to need a job. And he said, this guy is in commercial real estate, and his office is on the 24th floor of the First American Center in downtown Nashville, and I want you to go talk to him. I said, well, what, what does he need? And he goes, well, he needs an office manager. My pre-Al-Anon skills of control are perfect to be an office manager. <laughs> I interviewed for this job, and I got it. And now, all of a sudden, I'm a single mom raising two daughters and making a lot of money and going to downtown Nashville to work every day. And um, my boss really likes me. In fact, he kept asking me out, and I kept saying, but you're married. And he said, that's just details. We'll work it out. And during this time, I think I expected my oldest daughter to stay home and take care of the, you know, put the, put the, put the dinner in the microwave, you know. Uh, they, were, they were there home alone a lot because I got really good at commercial real estate. I got my broker's license. I became very successful. Nashville was in a boom ta- ta- town at that time, and, and I could do no wrong. Now, um, he did keep asking me out, and then he got a divorce, and so um, one day he asked me out, and like the next day he asked me to marry him. And I thought, well, that seems like a good idea because he's a businessman. You know, we're not going to have any problems with drinking or partying. Now, we, were, uh, we get married, and we're going to live happily ever after. He adopts my two daughters. I mean, this seems like a fairy tale come true. Um, we had a wine cellar that would rival a restaurant, We lived uh, across the street from the governor's mansion. I had six bathrooms in this house. My daughters are going to private school. I'm driving fancy cars, but something's wrong. And I'd go to my doctor, and I'd say, I think I'm going crazy. And he'd see my address, and he'd say, what do you have to complain about? So I'd go away. I'd go to my, my, my girlfriend, and I'd say, something is really, really wrong in this house. I, I don't know what it is. And she'd say, didn't you just get back from sailing at the British Virgin Islands? What are you complaining about? 
So I'd get quiet, and I wouldn't complain. And it finally got to the point uh, that, that something really bad was wrong. And what was going on is um, my husband, my then husband, was a cocaine entrepreneur. That, when you live across the street from the governor's mansion, you don't say drug dealer. (laughs) So his cocaine entrepreneurship was kind of uh, interfering with our our marriage and our business and our and our whole our whole life. You know, secrets were going on. About this time, my daughter in high school was beginning her journey into drugs and alcohol. My eight-year-old was turning into a young woman. Uh, she was, it, 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 and, and all the time, I'm trying to be perfect. I'm the I'm the mother that sent their kids to school with a fever because perfect children don't get sick. Okay. Um, I, I, I controlled everything, and I could not understand why things weren't going well. So um, we were um, been married about eight years, six years maybe. He had adopted my daughters. He and I and his best friend and his best friend's girlfriend, sometimes we would travel with his best friend's wife, sometimes we would travel with his best friend's girlfriend, but we would do a lot of these uh, trips down to lower, lower Florida or to the Keys or whatever, and um, the guys had gone in ahead of time to get ready for the women to come in, which meant they had to take care of some business, I'm sure. And um, so I fly in. I've just done a really big deal, and, and this is the time that I'm living happily ever after because I'm living in this mansion, and I've got everything under control. And I'm absolutely exhausted. And um, they pick us up at the airport, and we start driving, driving in Miami and start driving down to the lower Florida Keys. And they're partying all day long. I'm just kind of trying to sleep and trying to hang on. And finally, we, we stopped to eat, and I know it was someplace in the lower Florida Keys, and it was a nice place because they had a tablecloth. And, um, and, uh, and remember, I'm here with my husband and his best friend and his best friend's girlfriend, and they have been partying all day long. And um, I said something wrong at the table. I said, please pass the salt, or I said, pass the salt, please. But whatever it was, it was wrong. And my husband lit up and threw a fit, and he said to me, um, he said, this is my best friend. And he said, let me tell you something. If there was a firing squad over there, and my friend was standing there, and you were standing there, I would tell them to shoot you. Now, that was a pretty strong message. I got that one. I stood up, and I said, I'm going home. They thought that meant I was going back to the hotel, but no, I was going home. I went over, and I asked the attendee, the the lady there at the um, restaurant, to call me a cab. And so I get in this cab, and he says, where do you want to go? Because, you know, in the Florida Keys, it's only about four blocks apart anywhere you're going to be. And and I said, I want to go to Miami. I, I am so distraught. I said, I want to go to the Miami airport. And um, he said, well, I, this 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 taxi won't make it. I've got to go home and get the van. And I go, whatever, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm having a breakdown. Just do whatever, you know. To just take care of it, sir. You know, that's kind of my attitude. And um, I'd been in a lot of situations, but I'd never been home with a cab driver before. I want to tell you all that up front. 
And, <laughs> and so we pull up in this man's driveway, and the door opens, and this woman steps out and says, Hey, hon, you come on inside. Uh, he's got to get the van ready, and, and then he'll take you to the Miami airport. And I go, Okay. So I walked inside, and I want to tell you, I stopped at that doorway, and, uh, and I was so touched because I was standing and looking into a home. She was folding clothes there, and she had some stew or soup cooking on the fire. I could see their whole house. I'm sure there was a bedroom off. And I just stood there, and I thought, I'm going back to a mansion with six bathrooms, and I can't call it home. And she said, looks like you're having a rough time. She said, can, um, can I help you with anything? And I said, yes, um, c- could I buy a pair of those socks? Um, because I had on a sundress and flip-flops, and Nashville had a very big snow, two inches. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> and she says, I'll just give you these socks. And so here was a woman that was one of those angels before we even knew angels existed in our lives. She gave me the socks. She trusted me with her husband. She was a good businesswoman. She made me pay her in cash. (laughs) And he takes me to the Miami airport. And by the time we get to the Miami airport, um, it's probably like 2, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, the Miami airport was under... Um, construction and it, people from the the city could get to the airport and I have to tell you that I spent the rest of that night with my back against the wall just trying to be safe there were no planes out at that time there were very few people in the airport and it was not a safe place for a woman to be and I stood with my back against the wall hanging on um, I didn't have any cash because I'd given. Uh, I had to give those to the cab driver, and I and and I have to tell you, with my back against the wall, and my, going back to a mansion, doing great business, having a luxury car to drive, having daughters in private school, with my back against that wall, I said a prayer. I didn't know it was a prayer at the time, but I said, God, God. My life is unmanageable. Did not know that that was a prayer. So I get back home, and, um, and in a couple of days, he comes back, and he came in, and he was mad because I had embarrassed him in front of his friends. And uh, we had had a little trouble with disagreements before, and we'd been going to a marriage counselor. It was a marriage counselor that I had found in the phone book. And, um, and this man was so angry. Uh, and we know what anger sounds like. It's the food of plate up against the wall. It's the slamming of the doors. It's skin on skin. We know what anger sounds like. But that man was so angry that day, I was absolutely petrified. And just took by some time, and because I was very organized, this is before cell phones, everything, I, I said, look, wait, before we really get into a heated, let me just try to call this doctor. Now, this doctor, you had to call like six weeks ahead of time to even get an appointment. I'm just trying to buy time. I had the, the 
the number right there by the phone. And, and I said, just let me call this doctor. I'm just trying to stay safe here. And I, I called that doctor, and this little girl said, um, hello, can I help you? I said, we need to see doctor, the doctor. And she says, well, isn't that something? We just had a cancellation, and if you can be here in 15 minutes, we can see you. So um, anger silence is probably scarier than noisy silence. And that ride to that doctor's office was absolutely frightening. If my door had come open, I would have fallen out. I was that close to it. But this time, we, we'd always go to this doctor, and he'd listen, and I'm crying, and my husband has his arms closed like this and rocking back in his chair, and, and the doctor would say to me, you're too sensitive, and you're not sensitive enough, and that'll be, you know, a couple hundred dollars, and go away. And we'd go away till we had another fight. So here we are walking into this marriage counseling, this marriage counselor that we'd seen many times, and I am scared and crying and petrified. And this time, the doctor came around and he said, come in, come in, sit down. And he said, you sit here, you sit here. And he went back on his side of the table, at the desk, and he said, uh, before you start talking, I have to tell you something. My name is Dr. So-and-so, and I am an alcoholic, and I have not always been as present as I should have been when I was counseling with you. So from that time to the time before, this man had gotten into recovery. And he said, I know your story. I've lived your story. My wife lived your story. And to help make amends, things were really different then. He said, to help make amends, we were going to go to this week-long counsel- counseling couples retreat, and, uh, but we can't go. So here's the tickets. Here's the registration. We, I want you to go. So like within the next day, I'm on my way to South Dakota. I mean, my life is, is on the fast track at this point. <laughs> and we get to this, um, this retreat center, which is really well known, um, up there. It was in the, in South Dakota. And um, and we and it was the couples' week, and people were walking around the lake, holding hands, and they were going into dinner holding hands, and it looked like Noah's Ark. I mean, twosis everywhere, twosis everywhere, and and here I am, all excited, you know. Here we are, but every time it was our turn to do something, they would take my husband into another room, and what I know is that this thing about recovery. It's not about saving relationships. It's about saving lives. And they were in there trying to break down his denial at his addictions. Um, I did learn the serenity prayer. And they had those uh, window shades up there. And I walked up to one of them. And they said, number one, my life is unmanageable. Whoa, didn't I just say that prayer? You know, uh, so we get ready to leave after a week, and, uh, and the director of that, that uh, treatment center gave me a, a big bear hug as I was getting on the shuttle to go back to the airport. He gave me this big bear hug, and he said, Get yourself to Al-Anon. Now, we're in the Black Hills of South Dakota. I decided Al-Anon was a Native American word. <laughs> I didn't have a clue, you know. So we get back to Nashville. And what's happened now is um, we have some knowledge. 
And so you can't stay in detachment. You can't stay in denial. You can't, it, 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 weekends were horrible at this household now. He, my, my oldest daughter's acting out. He's struggling with his behaviors, and I'm actually going crazy. And I, but I could work, and my desk was organized. So one Monday, I'm at my desk, and I am crying, and I don't cry. I go into conference room with a bunch of attorneys to do big deals. I don't cry. I wear silk dresses, and I don't cry. And uh, so I'm getting there, I'm crying, I'm crying. And, and this little voice says, call Al-Anon. And, and I looked it up, and it was in the phone book. And I have to say thank you to anybody that answers the phones in central office or in, in Al-Anon intergroups. You are saving and changing lives. Um, this lady, I said, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> okay. She said, here's what you're going to do. There is a meeting about two blocks from your office, and you're going to go over there. It's at noon, and you're going to go over there, and you're going to meet with some of those people. Okay, okay. Click. I thought, a meeting at noon. Well, by noon comes around, and I'd kind of got my act back together. You know, I don't really know if I need to go over there, but, oh, I told that lady I would, and, oh, they're probably just going to want me to make a donation, you know. Oh, you know. I probably, okay, I'll go over there. And it was the Monday midday Al-Anon family group at the Methodist Publishing House. And I stood outside that door, and I heard something that I've heard here this weekend, and that was Laughter. And I did not know what it was or what it sounded like. And I said, what's that noise? And you said, come on in. And I sat there in my little seat, and um, I did what, what I've seen newcomers do in Al-Anon. I sang the hymns. Don't, don't you sing the hymns in your meeting? Him did this and him did that. <laughs> And and you let me stay. You let me stay. And I jumped into it and and I would like to say that 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 with this second marriage that got me into recovery, that 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 marriage would have worked out, but in truth it was really just a business marriage and it wasn't meant to work out. Um we we got a divorce, um and it took a long time to do it, but what I got out of that was was recovery of going to Al-Anon meetings. I, I got a sponsor, and she was she was incredible. Um, she would tell me things like, um, um, "You're not responsible for your first thought, but you are responsible for how long you think it." <laughs> You can't tell the difference between a hangnail and a death in the family. <laughs> you know, you're going to go to all these meetings with me. And, um, and, then a, and then another angel came into my life. It was a woman that said, I'd like to take you through the steps. And I went back to my sponsor, and I said, this woman would like to take me through the steps. And my sponsor said, that sounds like a great idea. And that lady is here this weekend. It's Julie that read, our paths have been crossing since 1987. 
Now, this lady took me under her wing, and she said, we're going to go through the steps, and this is the way we're going to do it. She said, one time there was this military man that, that um, his army landed on this shore uh, to fight, and they burned the ships so they couldn't retreat. She said, we're going to burn those ships, and you're not going to retreat. And back then, in 87, we didn't have a lot of literature, and she actually took me through the steps by using the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, people shudder because the big book is not conference-approved literature for Al-Anon. You just figure that out. It doesn't matter. You know, we have, this, we have the circle in the triangle. You've got the triangle in the circle. I don't know. But, but, it, but, it, but it was not conference-approved literature, but we didn't have. And, and I, have, I had a big book because I'd bought it, and I'd underline everything in red I thought my husband should read. <laughs> Still got it. <laughs> So she took me through the steps, and now I'm a, I'm a single woman, and um, and I've and I've got recovery. Uh, it was like I got close to a God of my understanding. I, I understood um, happiness. I understood that I had a right to a life of dignity. I had a birthright to a life of dignity. That's what it told me in my Al-Anon book. Um, I could have complete conversations with my daughters. Um, my house kind of became, you know, I'm newly divorced. My house kind of became um, um, a safe place for women and children. If you're in Al-Anon with a pickup truck, you move a lot of AA women. <laughs> and they, and this was a wonderful time in my life. Um, we had... I had a crib in my office at home one time. The house that I bought after um, after moving out of the big mansion had a, um, a separate apartment upstairs, and it had a, a cottage, you know, where my office was. So there was a lot of room for women and children, and uh, we had, and we were always doing recovery. This is what was so amazing. We were always doing recovery, and we laughed, and we'd have enough money at the end of the month to buy some flowers to put on the table at Sunday night dinner, and we'd talk about guys, men, all the time, and we'd say, we're going to get dressed up, and we're going to go out, you know, and, and we go, well, where are we going to go? Well, let's go to a meeting, so that's what we would do. <laughs> we would go to a meeting, and... Uh, I'd been encouraged by my sponsor to go to open AA meetings. She said not to talk, not to share, but you need to hear the stories of hope because you've been without hope for a very long time. So uh, as long as I'd been going to Al-Anon, I'd been going to this open AA meeting, and, uh, and, uh, and I met a lot of wonderful people there. And I'd go to lunch with them, and I'd hang out with them, and we'd have a, a barbecue, and a lot of them would come, the, the men, the women. You know, it was just, it was a wonderful time, a wonderful time. But I was, um, but I was lonely. You know, I'm, I'm divorced. I'd been divorced for a while, and, um, and I, had, uh, I had my two daughters still at home, and I had a dog, a rabbit, a gerbil, a bird, and a guinea pig. Scott said I had a food chain in my house <laughs> when he came. Um, but, but I was telling my friend, I said, I'm, I'm lonely. And she said, well, didn't you know Scott was going to get um, uh, divorced? And I said, I didn't even know he was separated or anything. I, I thought he was, no, this was information I didn't have. And, um, and evidently, 
I started, um, I changed my behavior or something, because now I've got this information, this guy that I think is so attractive that, you know, I'm, I just, and, and so one day I'm leaving the meeting, and he steps right in front of me, and he said, can I ask you something? I said, sure. And he, <laughs> and he said, well, have I done something to offend you? And I said, well, no, why do you ask me that? And he said, because you, you never go to lunch with us anymore. You don't have eye contact. You don't hang around for a hug. You know, you, what, what's going on? And I stood there and I said, well, I found out that you were going to be single and I'm interested. <laughs> and then I bolted for my pickup truck. <laughs> And it was before cell phones. I had to wait till I got home to call my sponsor to tell her what I'd said. And she said, well, I guess it's going to be okay because you told the truth, you know. So when Scott's divorce was final, um, he asked me out. And, uh, and then we got married. And we, you know, we dated and got married and lived happily ever after. And you're going to hear a, a lot more of that in the panel tomorrow that we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, now, this is just like a dream come true. And I have to tell you that during this time, I stayed active in Al-Anon. I was part of help uh, starting the Al-Anon when we started uh, our, our core office there where we could have literature and hold meetings and, and have district meetings. I help them, helped them get their lease. I mean, I was very active in Al-Anon. And then, and then I was very blessed to get invited to speak. I've I've, I've spoke, I've been at conferences in every state of the United States, and I've been asked to go to um, Australia and, and um, the Ukraine. I'm going to go back to Russia this summer. And 10 years ago, I went to the Ukraine, and those women over there did not have any meetings, maybe like one a week or something. And now they've got meetings. Um, they, they said, we all came in at the same time. I said, y'all have got to sponsor each other. And they said, but we, we don't know how to do that. And I said, well, somebody's got to go through the steps. So it, driving around, I took one woman through the steps so she, they could say, you know, how they could you know, how they could sponsor each other. And I have, our interpreter over there was a a young girl that I'd been talking to on the phone for about two years. And I got to, she got to take her fifth step with me there when when I got there. So Al-Anon has been so important to me. And um, and now Scott and I are married and we're doing all this traveling. And, um, but something wasn't right, you know, um, Something wasn't right, and and I and I go to my sponsor, and I'd say I, something's un, something's un, something's happening in this household, and uh, I'd describe what was going on, and she would say, "Well, do you think Scott's drinking?" And I said, "Absolutely not, absolutely not," but something very strange is going on, and um, and I and I'd say. Um, I think that you're looking for the exit door. And he would say, I think you're pushing me toward the exit door. And so I'd go away. And, and what I want to tell you what was happening to me at this time was I got totally involved in trying to work my program long enough, hard enough, big enough to change his program, to change his life. I wasn't doing the Al-Anon for me. 
I really thought if I could be the bestest Al-Anon possible, that, that I would get everything that I wanted in a relationship. But um, the, the long story short is um, one of my sponsees came to me when, one weekend when Scott was out of town, and she revealed some information that was very disruptive and, um, and, and critical uh, and, and a deal killer for a marriage. Um, and, uh, and we'll share some of that. You know, that's Scott's journey. Uh, we ended up about eight years ago, we divorced. Um, and I think it was because he had to go fight some demons and I had to learn about forgiveness. And I don't think we could do that in the same house. And so we were, um, divorced for about five years. And then about three years ago, um, I was going to be in Florida, and I knew he was down there for um, Sandy Beach's memorial. And I said, what about if we get together and, and talk? Uh, and we won't be around all of the, you know, the familiar stuff. We'll be in new territory. So um, we got together in Orlando, and it went very well. And then I was going to go. I have vacation houses that I have to travel and fix up. So from Orlando, I was going to go down to Key West, and I said, I'm going to be in Key West for a couple of weeks, so why don't you come down there uh, for a couple of weeks? So he said, okay, I will. So he came down there, and then, you know, God decided that we were supposed to stay in the same zip code for quite a while. He broke his leg and couldn't leave. Oh, that's the story he tells. I don't know. He was on crutches for six weeks. So after that time, we got back together, and uh, and it's been good. It hasn't. It's 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 been great, and it's been honest, which was the one thing that was was missing. You know, relationships can't live on secrets, and that was the one thing that was missing. So now uh, we've been back together about three years, and. Um, I guess you'd say we're we're heart married, okay? <laughs> we're heart married. Yeah. So isn't this amazing that I've got this story and it all comes from just loving alcoholics? You know, um, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, I, I, this has been a, a, a good journey for me because I haven't shared my story in quite a while. I, I, I can tell you that my daughter... Um, one of the most beautiful things she ever said to me was about um, she had just turned 21. When she got old enough to drink, she stopped drinking. She said, hi, Mom, I'm an alcoholic. And that daughter stayed sober for about mm, 20 years. And now she's uh, drinking, but she seems to be very successful. She's raising my grandsons. She's in a, in a marriage that seems to be working for them. I don't know. Um, my, I've gone through a lot of, um, of heartache with my, with my youngest daughter, business-wise. Just because you have a, a business degree from Belmont College and you graduate with honors doesn't mean you're going to be a good businesswoman. And I trusted her with a lot of business, and that we're, we're doing some healing around that. Um, but my journey in Al-Anon, I would say what happened is I found out who I am. You know, I, I don't have to be who you want me to be. I can, I, I don't have to, I can say no and I can say yes. 
And, and I didn't know I can do that. I had choices. I have choices. I, I didn't know that I had choices. And so I, I got into this, and, and, I, and I got a, a God of my understanding by working the steps. I got, from the traditions, I finally got a loving God, which was so important. Um, I had to grieve the loss of the dreams. And I was telling somebody last night, sometimes a dream, when a dream comes true, it's also a loss. So you have to have some new dreams. I think grieving is so much a part of our recovery. I can't tell you enough about how I, I believe grieving is. And we don't have to name it. You know, if I, if, I, if, I, if I cry because I can't find my keys right then, that's okay. You know, if grieving is just part of our recovery. I, um, what my life looks like now is um, I've been trying to retire. And it, it's, a, it's a lot of work to retire. It, it really is. Um, so I, I guess my daughter gave me this puppy for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. I, I, you know, I thought she liked me. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I got coffee in bed every morning, and now I'm up walking the dog. What is wrong with this picture? But I've learned a lot from that dog. Um, She's a puppy, and she likes to eat things. She just, she, she, she ate this bone, and I tried to get it away from her, so she swallowed it. And then she had to have surgery. So what I've learned from this dog is if she's, got, if she's doing something she's not supposed to, I'm not supposed to aggressive um, go at her. You know, she's got to have her own journey. And when I back off, she eventually does drop the rock, you know, um, yeah, really. That's yeah. Uh, I am. I am so impressed to look into this room and see you participating in your recovery. Y'all have been giving me some applause, but I want you to give your hands together to applaud for yourself for participating in your own recovery by being here this weekend. And by taking the chance on coming to an Al-Anon speaker, I mean, really, you know, I, you know, I, I, you'll get extra points if you tell your sponsor you you came to this. I bet. <laughs> uh, so many things I've learned. I've learned. Um, I went through the steps, and, and I made amends. I made amends, and I did it right because the person that taught me to go through these steps. She, she gave me a little card, and she said, you're not going to have to make amends on the way you made amends. So I had this little card I could read. So I did my amends right. And, um, and then one day, there was this woman that had talked about infidelity in a meeting, and, and I didn't like her. And I didn't, you know, I couldn't, I, I said, let's don't go in the room that she's going in. I mean, I, I gossiped about her in the Al-Anon meetings, and I knew I owed this woman an amends. And this is, I tell this story because this is how important it is that God wants us to do this work. I have a, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, I was living in this beautiful house that had a gorgeous backyard. I do my morning prayer in the backyard. But for some reason this morning, I'm on my front step and I'm looking out at the street and I've got this ODAP book in my hand and I said, God, I really want to get on with these steps, but, but I can't find this woman to make amends to her. And I look up and this woman is walking down my street. 
Now, here's the video. I kind of have on this gown-looking thing, and my hair's out like this, and I go, it's you, it's you. <laughs> she backs up, you know, and I said, I, I, I doubt if you remember me, but I'm in Al-Anon, and, and I'm, and I'm taking, you know, I'm, I need to ask that, that for, I need to make amends to you because I, I said some harsh things about you. And, and I could only say these certain things that my sponsor had told me to say when I was making amends. But she's looking around kind of funny, and I said, and I took a chance. I said, well, what's going on with you? And she said, well, I, I was just trying to figure out where I am. She said, I walk every morning, but I've never been on this little street before. You know? So God wants us to do this work. God wants us to do this work. I was going through my steps um, after that, a few years after that, and I got this unease about um, making amends. And I realized that there were some people that I need to make good amends to. I'm talking about the high school teacher that got me off the back row and got me active in debate and extemporaneous speaking. I was probably headed for a lot of trouble as a teenager. And I called her and I said, thank you. I did not tell you how important you were to me at that time. And I made a list of these people, a neighbor that taught me how to cook. I made amends to these, good amends to these people. Talk to your sponsor about it. it is, it's a gift-giving recovery feeling to make those good amends. Um, so I'd like to talk about this, this friendly God that I have, but the, um, the, the thing I know about this God is uh, I had to find this God in, in meditation, and, uh, and I'm busy. But I got this clue from a bumper sticker. And it, it was for a dog obedience school. And it said, sit happens. <laughs> so I realized I could sit and just be quiet. And that's how I got a friendly God that I could turn my family over to. Uh, there's one of our readings that you visualize your higher power, like you put your, your family into this hand, and you put your problems into this, you put everything into this God's hands, and then finally you c- climb into. That's who became the God of my understanding, this friendly God that really was on my side. Um, but my disease is one of amnesia, okay? I forget what you've taught me. I forget what I've learned. So I want to close with this little story that helps me remember that I have choices. I have choices to call my sponsor. I have choices to go to a meeting. I have choices to say yes and come hang out with you. But I forget that I have choices. So this story goes, a long time ago in this village, there was a really wise old woman, a sage, and everybody loved her and they respected her. And there was a young girl in this village that was jealous of this old woman. So she was going to trick her. And so what the young girl was going to do is she was going to catch a baby bird, and she was going to go to the old woman, and she was going to put the bird behind her back. And she said, okay, old woman, you tell me if this bird is dead or alive. And if the old woman said, well, honey, that bird is alive, well, she was going to squeeze the bird and show her the dead bird. Or if the woman said, well, honey, that bird is dead, well, then she was going to show her the live bird. You see, it can't go wrong, right? So she called everybody around. She caught the bird. She stood in front of this old wise woman, and she said, okay, old lady, 
You tell me whether or not this bird is dead or alive. Without hesitation, the old woman said, the choice is yours. Your recovery road is yours. God bless you, and thank you for letting me share. This week for me had both ups and downs, joys and questions. Met with my AWOL group on Tuesday where we finished our step three questions and then had a little discussion about how are we going to do step four? What does it mean to do step four in a group? And is that different from step five? I tried to share my personal experience because that's all I can share. I've done it a couple of times in a group where we we went through the questions in that book, which start with a set of questions just about taking inventory in general, followed by a longer set of questions about character assets or strengths, and then finally a set of questions about uh, what might be termed character defects. And so my experience is that by going through those earlier questions, it makes it easier once we get to the, the character defects to to talk about them uh, in, in a group. Uh, one person in the group said that they intended to be completely honest in the group, and I think that's a good starting point. I did note that both times I did step four and step five, there were things I left out. There were things I left out deliberately because I just, you know, shame or something, didn't want to talk about them yet. When talking to, at least to the other people in the group, I think I did write them down in, in my journal, but I didn't share them out loud. And then there were things that I left out because I didn't remember them. And I had to go around and, and do it again, and maybe a third time, to uh, to bring those things to top of mind and to be able to share them out. So we're going to be starting step four next week. A little bit of uh, anticipation and uh, maybe trepidation, but I, I have confidence that we will get into it and we will do it and we will do it with love. And I know that when I did it, it was an amazing experience. It really was sharing our commonness and our differences. On Friday, I had my annual physical and I got some news about my health that I wasn't expecting, which basically is encouraging me to really commit to having a healthy body really commit to regular exercise, eating healthily, etc. Uh, going back in three months, and hopefully the the numbers that are concerning will have gone at least towards back towards normal, if not all the way to normal. We'll see. But it is, it is a reminder to take care of myself. And I had a message sitting in my inbox about would I be interested in willing to take on a new commitment at church I wrote back and said, no, I really can't. I need to focus on my health. And one of the things that's been keeping me from from doing what I need to do to take care of myself has been making other commitments that take time and at least give me an excuse to do things like not go to the gym, to eat on the run, etc. So we'll see how that goes. We didn't get much email this week. I got um, a private email saying thank you for doing the show. And I got emails with a couple of topic suggestions. One is has been suggested before talking about 
Violence by the non-drinker in an alcoholic relationship. How our unmanageability, the unmanageability of our lives can take us to a place where, where we're violent, either emotionally or, I guess, physically. If you would like to share about your violence, I would be grateful to receive such shares to include them in that episode. And if you want to share anonymously, because this is a sensitive subject and you might not want to have your name read, I can absolutely do that. Another topic suggestion that came in is how to talk to young children about their parents' recovery. How do you explain meetings to them? How much should you talk about the family disease at an early age? I don't have personal experience here. My kids, well, they were young-ish. My kids were 11 when I got into recovery. At that age, they're ready to understand a little bit more about what's going on than maybe, I don't know, a five-year-old. So again, looking for your experience, your strength and hope on that topic. And if you'd like to participate as a guest in that episode, please write or call and let me know. You can add your voice to our conversation here. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to contribute from your computer. You can use the voice memo or whatever it's called, app on your phone, record a memo and email it. Or you can just send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And if you can't remember all that, go to therecovery.show slash contact, and it's all right there, all on one page, with more words and and descriptions of, of how to participate. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you, one day at a time.